This episode is brought to you by Revel Snacks, R-E-V-O-L-S-N-A-X. Now, I have to say, I personally ventured down the keto path mid-2019 and really struggled initially. I felt like I was missing out on the little joys in life and couldn't enjoy any snacks or desserts. Then I came across Rebel Snacks and haven't looked back. They are by far the most delicious health food product I've ever come across. I mentioned that I'm a fan of keto, but these are the perfect option for paleo, vegan, or just overall healthy lifestyles. I try and eat as clean as possible, and these snacks are incredibly clean. It's a company that truly cares about their ingredients, uses organic when possible, and is mindful of our on-the-go lifestyles. Check out Rebel Snacks today and use code MUSICTHEORY10, M-U-S-I-C-T-H-E-O-R-Y 10 for 10% off your first order. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, Rhythm Section, and thanks for joining another episode of the Music and Theory Podcast. I'm Mike, and as always, joined by Steve. And today, we have with us, in studio, but practicing good social distancing, Christopher (laughs) Rossi from the band Revoice. Chris, how the hell are you, man? It's been forever. Um, uh, Yeah, man, I'm doing really, really well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, before we get going, sincerely, and all kidding aside... We, we do hope that from the Music and Theory podcast, everyone out there is safe and healthy during these crazy times. Can't even imagine what everyone's going through. We are conducting our call via Skype this morning, and uh, <clears throat> hopefully it's a good one for everybody. So without further ado, Mr. Chris Rossi, longtime friend of mine, current uh, very successful music star in the industry. Guy's an incredible vocalist for the band Revoiced. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the tenor, is that right? Yeah, I'm one of uh, one of the. We have actually technically three tenors in the group. Oh, wow. There's a we have we have a high tenor. Uh, I'm sort of the middle tenor, and I swap off between uh, the high and the low. So I'm like the the versatile one. Okay. And then we have a, a third tenor who's kind of acts as like a baritone, but he's technically a tenor. So we have three tenors, one low vocal bass, and then we have a vocal uh, drummer or vocal percussionist, and yeah. he does all the drum sounds with his face. Stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Great. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, we have been uh, we have been digging into your catalog for a little while now, and uh, some pretty impressive stuff out there. And I know, you know, before we get into some of the songs and some of the actual albums themselves, do us a favor, talk a little bit about your background, why you got into this, how it kind of came about. I mean, when, when I knew you really well, which was 20, 25 years ago, uh, I didn't remember this being part of your repertoire. So, like, yeah, man, what's going on? Dude, I, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like, it's weird. Sometimes you just don't, you, you know, you don't plan. I, every time we we travel around, we do a lot of work with uh, with schools, uh, music education programs where we go around and we we raise money for music education programs. And a lot of the students that we end up like workshopping with, they're always like, "Did you always know that you wanted to be yeah. like an acapella singer?" <laughs> and like, I I knew that I wanted to do something uh, musically, but I didn't know in what capacity. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I, I never fully could have planned this. And it's just kind of, you know, you ride the wave and you see where where things take you. And uh, But yeah, honestly, though, for me, um, singing was always a uh, was always just sort of like an extracurricular thing. Um, I did it for fun th- all throughout school. Yep. Um, growing up, uh, I started singing in elementary school. I, I was originally I was playing violin 
and I didn't enjoy it simply because of the teacher, which is a shame. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> she's, yeah, no, she's, that happens. Yeah. She scared the hell out of me. And I was like, I got to get out of here as yeah. a fifth grader because mm-hmm. you know how fifth graders do. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I took up uh, singing in the choir. It was just something that I enjoyed and I just stuck with it um, all throughout uh, all throughout middle school. And I was fortunate because I had a my choir teacher in middle school in sixth grade, she sort of stuck with me from sixth, seventh, eighth. And then when I moved from eighth grade to the ninth grade annex in Smithtown and then to the high school, she moved with me every single year. So I had this teacher who I had from sixth grade all the way through as a senior in high school. So she kind of became like, not not just like a a mentor and a role model, but kind of like my second mother in a way. And she, in sixth grade, instilled in me, she's like, you know, you you have a really nice voice and you you can do something with it. And she kind of pushed me to take some lessons and all that stuff and trained me, helped me get to like uh, all county music and uh, vocal jazz and all that stuff. So um, yeah, music was always a part of my life, but it was something that was tough to balance because I was also a very uh, big athlete as yeah, well. So sure. it was kind of like I was being torn in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something about music, man. There was something about music that just kept me grounded, kept me sane. And and I always kept coming back to it. It, it was kind of like my place of, you know, like my fortress of solitude, so to speak. Like I could just ex- escape all the, you know, daily mundane things and just go and just, you know, for a few hours a week, just, just sing and learn music and not have a, a care in the world. And that translated into, uh, to college. I went up to Ithaca College in upstate New York. And originally I was going to try and go, uh, to become like a voice major or just something within the music school. But uh, I didn't, it, it was a lot of work and I decided in the end to just kind of go with, uh, do something in business. Um, you know, I didn't fully know what I wanted to do in business, but I kept music in my life by uh, an extracurricular uh, vocal group. And, you know, four four hours a week during our rehearsal time, I could just go and just let loose and enjoy it. And I just, one thing led to another. And that's, that's kind of how my music days got started. But, um, now, was you know, that and, really and, your first introduction though, to, to acapella, because when I, I mean, listen, man, Carmen, San, where in the world is Carmen San Diego was my first introduction to acapella. So when I, well, and you had a background <laughs> there too, Chris, right? Like, didn't you I, work with them? I sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing. It, yeah it's funny. Uh, so, Carmen so San Diego, that's brilliant, man. <laughs> right. Wow. Dude, Dude, that song, yeah. that song, it's, it, it's a hit. Yeah. It's probably like burnt. It's burnt in my brain. And they did all the categories and stuff too. They'd be like, "Where are they now?" Like that Dude, sort of thing yeah, is amazing. Those guys. Um, well, it's funny because uh, so the group that was on that show, their their name was uh, Rockapella, Rock- uh, and believe and believe it or not, they're still around today, kicking it like they're 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 they do a lot of like performing arts centers around the country. They do a lot of stuff during the holiday season because their holiday music is just so so outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, years ago, I um, I auditioned for for their group. Um, I was actually I was good. I am good friends with uh, one of the guys in the group currently. Uh, his name's Jeff, and he does all their vocal drumming. He's unreal at That's what he amazing. does. Uh, and he he and I we've been good friends for years. And when this vocal spot came about. <clears throat> this vocal opening, I was really young at the time. I, I think I was early twenties mm. and he was like, Hey man, listen, you know, um, I think that you should audition. I'm going to tell you straight up. He's like, I don't think you're going to get it, but I think it would be good experience for you to just try and get some, you know, sure. experience under your, your wings. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I gave it a shot and um, luck, luck have it. Like I, I did really well. Like I was, it was something that I wanted so, so badly. So I, I prepared really, really hard for it. Um, I think they had a few hundred people audition for this one spot and then the group narrowed it down to about eight or nine people that they wanted to hear sing with the group in person. Yep. Uh, and I was one of those people. So they like trained me up to Boston for a weekend for one of their shows. Um, and they had me learn three songs of theirs. And then I had to sing them a song. And then I had to tell them a joke as well <laughs> to, like, to, to get to get my personality, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and I I sang with them. And then I essentially it came down to me and one other guy. And they ended up going with this other guy who's he was fantastic, uh, really, really great voice, good looking dude, really moved well on stage. And he was a lot older, had a lot more experience than me. But uh, so they took him as the full time guy. But they uh, later on, they decided to hire me as their sub, like their alternate no for him. Wow. So, yeah. So even though I didn't get the full time spot, I was still uh, hired and I did several shows, um, their Motown show and their Christmas show with them. And That's it was just amazing. like sur- it was it's surreal, deal, dude. Yeah. yeah, it was surreal. It was like crazy to like look over on stage and see all the guys that I like grew up yeah, idolizing. Right. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't I don't belong here. Wow, that's <laughs> that's a great story, dude. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was fun. So, but yeah, those guys they're still they're still crushing. They're mm. they're they're killing it. You know what's funny, man? It's like in the way you describe music, it, it's the exact same way Mike and I describe it, right? And I love that it impacts you. I think the way it does us and a lot of our Listeners, because I minored in music and I wanted to go to Berkeley, and it was one of these things where my mom was like, "Really? Like, okay, why don't we figure this out? Like, you know, get your proper footing first, and then do what you want. Then, of course, you fall into some other things, and sure, yeah, that sort of thing. So I don't do it as a profession, but you know, as Mike laughs because my guitar arsenal, so to speak, <laughs> probably you know represents how Steve how much Berkeley I'm in. But these I, days is, is well, really no, you're saying, being yeah. way too kind. Uh, <laughs> but dude, I applaud you for following that, man. That that's that. That is absolutely fabulous. It's a great story. I love that you're that you still have as much passion for it today as you did, you know, fifteen I, twenty years ago, man. Oh, maybe I, more, I, right? Thank, maybe thank, more. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I mean, there there are days, you know, it's just like anything else where you have um, you have your ups and downs, your peaks and valleys, because the entertainment industry is not it's not easy. And no. this was something that I just started out with. Um, well, Revoiced was something that started out as kind of like a small little hobby group with with kind of the hope of maybe going out occasionally and maybe putting a few bucks in our pocket. But it's we've been around for eight years now. And um, like this year, I mean, we've just we're we're nonstop go, go, go. But Mm -hmm. you have love, you know, a love hate relationship. Sometimes it's uh, Mm -hmm. there are pluses and minuses. But honestly, like my family um, has been one of the driving forces behind me that, you know, they they love this. They they really are unbelievably supportive of this. And um, I don't know if it's because that nobody else in our family is really has that like creative gene or they, they always look at me and they're like, where did this music thing <laughs> come from? <laughs> and so they're like leaning into it. And I, I think they're also products of a different generation sure. where their, mm. their parents, you know, had a, a large say and kind of somewhat dictated, yep. you know, which, which road to take. <laughs> Um, and they wanted me to, to kind of explore and figure things out on my own. And, um, they've been super supportive and there have been times where I've been like, I've been down and out and, and like, I've had either, either my mom or my dad pull me aside or even my sister who's seven years younger than me and like, you know, verbally slap me in the face and be like, what are you doing? 
Like you, you love this, you're good at it. And so I, I have them to thank, but it's, you know, I, I do love what I do and it's, I'm just, I'm really grateful because I never in a million years thought that I would be traveling the world, meeting new people, uh, having great experiences. And, you know, I mean, I paid off all my student loans doing this. So it's bless like, I'm, I'm, happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. You know what I'll say? Well, number one, power to you and to Revoice, by the way. So, you know, may you have a thousand years of success. Thank Um, you so much. What I will say is this, and Mike, Mike kind of, well, I don't say Mike laughed at me, although he laughs at me quite a bit, um, probably at my own, you know, at my own (laughs) sort of uh, entrapment. But the one thing I will say, so I've been playing, I play the drums, I play the guitar now, and I sing now. I, I, I do sing in air quotes, right? Because I would sing at home a lot. You have to, I played some gigs lately. You don't realize until you have to play an extended gig how yeah. much you have to train your voice, dude. Like Ooh, you three hours you get, last one, right, Steve? Yeah, it was like thirty-four songs, and I was like, "Am I Springsteen, <laughs> dude? Like, what are we doing here?" Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that bar has since been closed, given all the insanity, right? And it was supposed yeah, to be one yeah. coming up, but you know, anyway. I will say this. There is a documentary, Chris, if you haven't seen it, on Pavarotti, and it's amazing. And the reason I say that you said three tenors and it instantly popped into my mind. Placido Domingo was talking about the voice, and he was like, you know, at the end of the day, anything can affect it. Good news, bad news, the day, the climate, the temperature, mm-hmm. if you sure. played, you know, a couple of dates in a row. That's, that's the hardest. Th- I mean, the human voice is beautiful, and that's why they try to mimic it on piano and stuff like that, too. But, like, if you're a guitar player one night and you're hammered, Right. And you're like, eh, maybe it won't be the greatest thing. Does anyone really know? You know, you can kind of hide behind <laughs> <Yeah>. distortion. <laughs> and so, but if the vocalist is off, it's yeah. tough and it's one of the hardest things and to do. So I give vocalists, right? Well, so, I was yeah. just about to oh say that. God. Like yeah. one thing, and you know, and everyone, it's so judgmental because people are like, oh, they sounded terrible. I'm like, you have no idea. Maybe they had a cold. Maybe it was four nights in a row. Maybe it's brutal, dude. So I give you a lot of credit. There is nothing to hide behind when you're a vocalist, right? It's yeah, all it's, preparation and keeping your voice. You can't scream, whisper, yeah, anything, right? Like, yeah, there are so so many mitigating factors, and I, you know, over over the years, I mean, I used to, I had a uh, my first like real dive into like professional, like when I say professional, I mean just singing regularly and getting paid for it. Um, my first job, like, so I graduated, uh, college Ithaca and I kind of, I stayed up in school, uh, for the summer and I was like waffling about because I didn't fully know, you know, uh, should I go to New York city and start getting my resume ready? And, and, you know, to be an accountant, that's what I originally was planning. Um, but I didn't fully want to do it. And I actually got my first uh, singing job uh, offer through Facebook. Uh, a friend of a friend mm. reached reached out and said, hey, I know this person who's a producer and they're putting a show together for um, Hershey Park in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, and the show is it was just like a 70s, like cover, like funk band. And they said they have the whole band. They just need a new like lead singer. Mm-hmm. And so they they sold me because they were like, you get to sing like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire, Cool in the yes. Gang, Chicago, you know, every day. And I was like, sold. Yeah. I'm like, OK, <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds great. Like, where do I sign? So I I I auditioned and I got the part and it was 
it was amazing. I met some of the most talented musicians I've ever met, I've, I've ever worked with to date. They inspired me and introduced me to some unreal music and just musicianship in general. I, I was easily the worst musician on stage, but they like, they elevated me to another level and were just like such a supportive group of guys and they made me want to be better. It was kind of like, you know, you just wanted to rise to their level. Kind of like, you know, if you play sports and you're like, you're out, you're playing with against somebody that's better sure. than you, you naturally rise to that yeah. that level. It was kind of the same thing. That's great, man. But that job, let me tell you, man, six days a week straight, five shows a day. Each show was a half an hour. Wow. Of of singing like songs in the original key of the greats, like, you know, Ooh. singing Ro rock with you by Michael Jackson, but That's Stevie, tough, Wonder, dude. Stevie wonder superstition. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish, and I'm like, I'm wailing and like literally maybe two thirds of the way through the summer. I had no, I had no voice. Like I had no speaking voice mm -hmm. because I didn't know how to fully pace myself. I also wasn't fully singing properly, yeah. um, which I was like in the pro, like w once you're kind of put in the corner, then you're trying to like readjust or retune your mechanism to say like, okay, I need to not sing harder. I need to sing smarter or do mm. things smarter, you know? Um, and I had to take, I think two and a half weeks off where I didn't speak a single word. Um, and it was crazy. They, they were like, listen, you know, we, you know, we want, we can't like, we need you to work. But like we don't want to like take you off payroll, so they literally like they dressed me up as a giant Hershey's kiss, and I had to like walk. <laughs> I had to like walk around the park and just Amazing. hug little kids. Oh, but fantastic. but those the Hershey's Park like like those characters they just scare the hell out of kids, yeah. and it was amazing. So, oh, um, but that summer taught me like man, I got I got to be smart about this. And then later on, I I had a job where I, uh, I lived in Branson, Missouri for two years. And I did, uh, Branson, Missouri is kind of like, uh, they have a lot of, it's kind of in the, right in the middle of the Bible belt mm. of United States. And they have a lot of shows and a lot yeah. of live, live theater. Um, a lot of older people from the Midwest, they take these like buses down to Branson and they see all these shows and some of them are really cool. There are a lot of like family, like variety shows. Um, yeah. it's a very interesting place. And, um, I was down there for two years singing with a, a, another vocal group at the time, and we did over, I think, like 250 shows a year. Awesome. And, you know, the shows were like two, two hours long each day. But then on top of that, we had to go out around town before and after the shows and sing even more to market to get people to come to our shows. Mm -hmm. And like my voice was shot. But just like anything, man, it's like it's a muscle. You know, you it train it. Up, yeah. You you train it, and then you learn how to, you know, you you learn what works best for you. And it's yeah, it's 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 a challenge. It really is. And like you said, there's nothing to hide behind. It's like you know, you can be on, and that could be great. But the next day, like tomorrow, like if I'm in a, you know, even if I go out and I'm at a at a bar and there's like some smoke somewhere, right. it's like that affects me. I can't even have one drink. Oh, you know, the, if I know that I have to sing the next day, alcohol just dries me out. Um, but some people are machines. They can like scream the night before and sure. you know, their voice is like indestructible. So everybody, you know, yes, it's funny. I think, and you know, we were talking about this too. You see some things on the web, and a lot of people nowadays, I mean, they didn't necessarily have this when I was, you know, in high school or, or even early on in college, but, you know, the vocal warm-up, like, I, you, I just, like, you probably did the same thing, Chris, like, you just go on stage and sing, and you're like, well, I can sing. Oh, yeah, well, that's fine when you sing a song, but when you have, right. like, 10, 15, 20 songs you got to sing, 
I didn't know this, but like you have to warm up. Like it's almost half the time you plan on singing, right? So like if you plan on singing for three hours, people suggest you should warm up for like 60 to 90 minutes. Mm. And it, well, whether you believe that or not, I mean, I did it for an hour and then I have to admit the set almost did get better over time recently. Sure. Um, but all of those things like diaphragmatic breathing and all those things, like you learn that and like how to sing properly and not use your throat, use your chest. Oh, anyway, well, whatever it is, the, you know, the, the abdomen, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and then you watch people do it night after night. Again, I'm not going to harp on this Pavarotti thing, but here's the funny thing about tenors. Cause you said again, three tenors and it popped into my mind. The tenor is like an unnatural structure for a man, for his voice, right? They said the natural one is usually like baritone for a man, soprano for a woman, right? Sure. Yeah. And then you get into these pieces that people have to sing. Like there's a piece called La Fille de Regiment, right? That Pavarotti used to sing and he hits nine high C's. And they used to call him King of the High Seas, right? But I'm like, I tried to do that. I didn't even come like eight notes close to that. I'm like, how does this guy do this night after night with a with an opera voice? You know, so it, yeah. that you hear it, and obviously instinctually you go, wow, that sounds really good. But then people like in the know musically go, okay, not only does it sound good, the what had to go into the preparation of that is staggering. Years of work, no, you know what I mean? Just I, I don't know how somebody goes out there yeah. night after night. And they asked him, they were like how do you do that? He's like, look, I prepare. And if you're prepared, you're usually pretty good. And the interviewer was like, but do you know you're going to hit that note night after night? He's like, no. And that's the beauty of my profession. Like, that's the best quote about singing I've ever heard. Like, I hope it's going to be there, but I really don't know. You know? Like, yeah. Isn't that crazy? I don't know if you feel that way when you go out sometimes. You're like, 100%. I did what I can and <laughs> yeah, there, hopefully we, it's there. We, um, just before this, uh, you know, this whole, uh, coronavirus uh pandemic thing uh we, we were we were traveling quite a bit we had um we were out we do a lot of work on cruises mm. uh but we were out mm. one of the things that we do is uh, and i mentioned earlier we do a lot of like um fundraiser tours for music education programs yeah. all throughout the united states uh and that was one of the things that we did when we first when revoiced first started um we didn't have a bunch of work coming in to us so we kind of had to go out and create the work ourselves and so all of all the guys in the group at one point or another we all went through some form of uh, music education so we would um we were like hey let's let's see if we can put a tour of schools together where we go out and we, we raise money for the schools. And then, you know, we get a portion of it too, to try to pay some bills, but we still do that nowadays. And, uh, we're excited. We we're excited to say like we've raised, uh, over $70,000 for music education all across the country doing this. Um, yeah, thank you. And it's, you know, it's kind of the small way we're able to, to give back a little bit. Um, but we just did one literally a few weeks ago. We were in the state of Oregon and Washington, and we we wow. had a few schools there. And and then right after that, we flew to Wisconsin, and we had two more schools. And I was in the midst of all. I don't know if it's just all the all the traveling that we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, bouncing on and off planes, going from cold climate to warm climate to just changes in in pressure and temperature and just uh, humidity. Like I I don't know. I lost lost my voice, but we still had shows to do. And it was, it was exactly what you were saying, Steve. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Like I literally, like there were days where I warmed up for probably over an hour and I still couldn't, I was panicked because I'm like, how am I going to hit these notes? And you know, and honestly, man, like the audience is more forgiving, I think, than people, uh, anticipate. 
and they, you know, if they can see you struggling and, and fortunately for me too, I've got a, a great team of guys that, that I share the stage with. So they, uh, they, you know, they're cool and they're like, Hey, should we swap a song in and out that, you know, maybe could give you some time to, to breathe before this next one. So mm. you find ways around it, but yeah, there's, yeah. there is that moment of panic, like, Hey, <laughs> what's going to happen? Chris, Tell I'd, me about I'd it, love dude. to hear a little bit more about that. Bringing it back to the band for a second, because sure. you know, earlier you brought up vocal drummers and Steve spent a lot of time talking about preparation, warm up, and all the different essentially risks that are introduced by having an all vocalist band. How does it work? And especially for for our listeners out there, the rhythm section who don't maybe understand how an acapella group is set up. I know you mm. mentioned there's there's multiple tenors. Seems like there's a vocal drummer. What are the other instruments in the band? Obviously, your voice is the instrument, but what other voices are you trying to replicate, or instruments are you trying to replicate? Sure. So, I mean, there's different different ways you can do it. I mean, and nowadays with uh, with shows like um, Glee or movies like Pitch Perfect, mm-hmm. uh, there was a show on NBC called The Sing Off, uh, and groups like the Pentatonics. There, there yeah. have there has just like been this this explosion of of vocal groups and acapella in in recent years. That's just it's really quite astounding, mm-hmm. and uh, there are just so many different ways to 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 create the group, but, um, or, or create the sound the way that revoiced does it. Um, we don't necessarily aim to do, let's see. So there are some groups out there that literally they try to go out on stage and just with their voices, they try to emulate the sound of instruments. And some of them do it really, really well that you're like, Oh my God, is, is that really like a trombone? Like, how are, how are they doing that? (laughs) (laughs) And, and we don't, we don't necessarily do that. What we try to do is we, um, we have, so there's five of us Mm -hmm. and essentially the way that I arrange the music is we always have one person at one point singing the lead vocal and then there's always the the low bass. Uh, our guy is his name is Roland, and he sings super low, but he's got mm. a really really sexy, smooth voice. That I'm like, not only can he sing super low and hold down the the bass notes like mm-hmm. a bass guitar, but if I need him to, I can have him pop out at any time and command a solo, mm. and he just blows people's minds. Cool. So I have that secret weapon. But you have the lead vocal up top, then you have the the bass, which is kind of the the foundation of the the chord or the um, you know, the harmonic structure of that particular moment throughout the song. But then I have the vocal drummer, which I, I, I put underneath the, the bass to kind of, for them to work in tandem, just mm-hmm. like a regular band, the rhythm, you know, section, you, yeah. the rhythm section, you want, you want your bass guitarist and your drummer to feel that pocket together. They have cool. to feel the same, the same groove, the same pocket. So a lot of times when I'm arranging a song, I'll come up with, maybe I'll start out with like, oh, I hear a slightly different groove uh, in the drums for this song. And then I'll tweak the bass line to fit within that groove. And then Mm -hmm. our drummer and bass uh, bass singer take it to a whole nother level and they groove together and they they find ways to move in tandem. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then where we really get creative is, so those are three. We have the, the lead vocal up top, the bass singer, the drummer, and then we have the two singers in the middle, which are just essentially the way that I have it structured and revoiced and the way that it has worked for us is kind of think like uh, backup singers for like in the era of Motown, okay. like uh, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, yeah. the Temptations, uh, you know, even a little bit of uh, like Marvin Gaye sort mm-hmm. of stuff. It's like, so you have the lead the lead soloist, but then you've got these two backups that are, that are kind of doing their own thing just to amplify what the lead singer's doing. But at the same time, they're also filling out 
the chord and giving it that that giving the music that that extra splash of uh, uh, explosion that it needs to fill the sonic space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where really uh, we get creative with our with our arrangements and vocals. And we put, you know, um, counter melodies in there mm-hmm. and different rhythms that kind of play off the lead vocalist. And it, you can just create so many different timbres and, and, and textures that way. And it's kind of like a, the way my mom describes anything she hears me working on. It's kind of like a, a musical painting or like a mm-hmm. mosaic. Or it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a puzzle. You're just trying to figure out how the parts are weaving in and out of each other. And there are so many different ways to do it. That's the brilliant part. Like people don't understand the voice is so unbelievably versatile. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, it was the this the voice is the very first instrument yeah. like ever. I mean, you go back to you go back to years and years yeah. ago, like one of the first forms of musical uh, expression was like uh, Gregorian chant. Yeah, mm-hmm. medieval times. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's just, it's so beautiful. And what you can do with it nowadays, I mean, I remember years ago on TV, I remember seeing a commercial for Honda, like the car, the car. Sure. And they hired um, a choir of people. I think there had to have been maybe like 75 people. And the, the choir was literally musically recreating all of the sounds of this car um, just with their voices and like oh, their bodies and stuff. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, if I can find the link, I'll send it <laughs> to you guys because it's, it's really a trip to see. No, I remember and, it that, made, yeah. and it was super cool. And it's like the voice is just so versatile. So, uh, you know, the way that Revoice does it, that's literally, that's just one way, one small way of doing it mm-hmm. that we enjoy doing it and it plays to us very well but then you have other groups that are like you get groups like uh you guys mentioned like straight no chaser yeah, and yeah. and pentatonic straight sure. yeah. yeah i mean they're very they're very different from what we do even though you know huh. they have a a female in the group which yeah. just expands their vocal like mm-hmm. reach and register like astronomically not to mention they also have a a tenor in the group that's kind of like a a, a Contra tenor, like he just sings so ungodly high. You're like, how mm-hmm. is this guy doing this? You know? <laughs> um, and it's just, it's the, that's the beauty of it. Like, there's, there's no one right way. It's, it's the, the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Well, next, actually, I would love to ask you a question about what makes a good vocalist. But before we do that, I want to talk about an app that we came across recently called Encoda. N K O D A. It's an app that lets you practice, play, and perform sheet music, and they do it in a great way that's very personalized and makes the experience feel seamless. They have tens of thousands of titles, millions of pages of uh, complete works from hundreds of publishers, finest editions from Boozy and Hawks, Baron Ritter, Chester and Novello, etc. They've received praise from Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce DiDonato. And if you want to check out Encoda, N-K-O-D-A, go into your app store and download the free trial now. So it's a great app. Check it out. With that, on with the show. So thinking about what makes a good vocalist, Chris, when when you look across musicians today and musicians of yesteryear, I mean, listen, I know your group covers some incredible vocalists, James Taylor, Stevie Wonder, Simon Garfunkel, right? The Marvin Gaye's of the world. You You have some incredible ones that you guys track, follow, and emulate. But what makes a good vocalist? And and not that I'm going to put you on the spot to name any bad ones, but anybody stand out in your mind today that you think uses a little bit too much technology? A big theme of our show we try and tap into periodically is music from yesteryear versus music today and technolo- technological influence over 
whether it's the instruments or the voice. So I'd love to get your perspective on a lot of that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, I, I, I don't know offhand that I can think of somebody that um, uses too much um, too much technology uh, just because that's not really my sort of uh, uh, genre that I listen to. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I just know from like little clips on the radio as I'm like flipping through the stations, you know, there's a lot of auto tune that, that, that is being used as like, not necessarily like to hide something, but as a, as an effect, as an effect on the voice to, to transform, to give like this cool texture and timbre. And it's like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But I would love to hear, like, I would love to hear what that artist sounds like, excuse me, live. Yeah. Yep. You know, with without it, to to I just want to get to know their actual voice. But I guess like um, there's somebody that I love that I I love listening to who's a current artist. Um, he's not uh, an acapella artist by any means. Uh, he's a R&B soul singer, uh, Khalid. Oh, yeah. uh, his name's Khalid. Uh, he's from El Paso, and I I I love him because one of my good friends he mixes all of his stuff. Mm. And this guy, Khalid, is young. He's I think he's like 23. 223 now he's super young he writes all of his own music he's got such a super soulful voice but it's really like i don't understand um he sings so like if you listen to his stuff it sounds like he's singing very very quietly and so part of me is like how would that translate to the live environment like if he's in a stadium you know um, but I love his music. Like I think it's I think it's really great. I just pop it on if I'm in the car or whatever. But to your original question, what to me what makes a good vocalist is, and again, there's there's no there's no one one you know right way. Um, I think one of the biggest things, and this is something that I tell students that we end up working with a lot, is knowing your strengths. As you know, is what you what you can do, like knowing your your yeah. strengths and also your weaknesses so that you know how to navigate your instrument. Like, for instance, for me personally, my biggest strength is um, not necessarily it's my it's my tone. It's my timbre, the way that I sing something, not necessarily the crazy vocal runs that I can concoct. I sure. because I my voice is not as uh like uh it's not as agile as i would like for it to be so like when i hear artists like you know christina aguilera or you know ariana grande doing these vocal riffs and hitting all of these notes super quickly but unbelievably clean it's clean it really is and it's like i that is not my strength Mm. at all and that's not to say that i'm not practicing in certain things trying to develop that sure but in a live situation, you know, I try to set myself up for any given moment for mm-hmm. success. So like I could maybe like one of my biggest strengths is altering the melody slightly to something that's a, a little bit more uh, catching to like my ear, so to speak, and just kind of keeping the the listener on their toes a touch. Um, but also like. Yeah, honestly, I think just keeping it simple, like knowing what your what your wheelhouse is, and and utilizing that to your advantage. Um, not being afraid to take risks. I'm not saying like don't be afraid to try things, but knowing uh, just how your instrument works. Because I can't tell you how many times I hear singers, not even not even like high school kids, but we do a lot of work on cruises, and we see a lot of other professional people that are getting paid, and they're trying to do too much. It's mm-hmm. like just sing, just sing the damn song. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's clear that you're not like, yeah. this isn't wheelhouse. So don't, 
whether or not you know they're being told to do that by a producer mm-hmm. or something it's like just just play to your strengths yeah. um it's like find your voice right yeah, find exactly. your own voice it's too easy to want to sound like other people well that's where you start right any instrument yeah. you're probably trying to emulate another artist like you know, I think guitar players will forever want to be Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or whomever it is, or or any vocalist, right? If somebody wants to be, I don't know, Plant or Axel or whomever they want to be, right? But ultimately, you got to sing like who you are. Otherwise, somebody at some point, if you develop your career, is going to say, well, you sound like that person, right? Forever, you wanted to say Scott Weiland sounded like Eddie Vedder, yeah. and then they totally <laughs> diverged, right? And they sound like their own people. But absolutely, you're right, yeah. Chris. You got to be, you got to, you got to use your own voice, find like quote unquote, find your own voice, right? So it takes find, time, though. It does take time. Yeah. yeah, it really does. I mean, but there's something so beautiful about it. I mean, like, y- you know, some of the most beautiful voices uh, in in history, like Karen Carpenter. Oh that, yeah, that that girl. Like she didn't do anything crazy, but it was just her tone. She sang it with such like beauty and like it was pristine and clean. But then you've got Aretha Franklin that could (laughs) like just blow the roof off. But then you've got Freddie Mercury on the other end that could do pop, but also like rock opera. Mm, And you've got, man, then you got Michael, you got Michael Jackson, (laughs) like whatever that guy, like it's so you got to find your wheelhouse. You really got to find your wheelhouse. Yeah, no, I agree. Very cool. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, it sounds like at least, some of the bands or musicians that have inspired you over time. And obviously, I see a lot of that translate into the work that you guys put out. But but help me with one other connection here with the band. The title is Revoiced. Is the object and the idea, the objective here, to create new covers of existing songs? Or do you guys also think about any original work? And, uh, and if so, how, how does that process work? Yeah, great. Yeah, really great question. Um, honestly, you you nailed it. When we first started the group, uh, the the sole purpose was to you know just do something, um, create this hobby group where we did. The sole purpose was to do covers, mm. covers of songs that people that people knew, songs that we wanted to sing, uh, but we wanted to do them in a way that was you know a slightly different take on things, and and in you know. Uh, you know, in in like music theory, people talk about like in like a vocal arrangement, you can you can sort of like revoice harmonies, like you yeah, you revoice harmonize, yeah, reharmonize. And mm-hmm. so we came up with this name, revoicing things, to kind of like give people the idea that it it has like it's all vocal, but it's kind of like a little a slightly new tweak on it. So that's kind of where the name came from. But honestly, in in recent years, we've been talking about wanting to dive into some original music. Um, and, but honestly, what's been paying the bills for us at the moment has just been people love the covers that we do and, um, yeah. And it's, but it's, it's a matter of two, like knowing, knowing our wheelhouse and I'm not the strongest at writing original music. And so we would want to, in doing that, we want to position ourselves smartly and correctly and, and find people that have been honing their craft of songwriting well over the last few years and find somebody that maybe we gel with and then we can like you know work together and and work off as as you know in that regard so to speak so that's something that we've been talking about but right now it's just been kind of all covers and just kind of doing our own spin on old classics but also songs that you hear on the radio today too like we do mm-hmm. everything from like you said uh you know Marvin Gaye, James Taylor, Simon and Garfunkel to um you know we uh we do Justin Timberlake, Bruno Mars, uh Lady Gaga, Pharrell wow. Williams, we do stuff you know, we try to do something for everybody. Yeah. 
that's key to try to hit, you know, different audiences, age groups, demographics, that sort of thing, right? Because, and you're probably putting together a set list going like, all right, well, what are we going to do now? And you do, you span. It's hard to do that. It's hard. And we talked about this in our other show, Mike, like if, because you play in the band too, like you put together a set list. There's so many things to consider. Like, should the, yeah. the key should probably be changing because then it causes unease in, the, in like the audience's mind. And then <laughs> for you, it's probably like, all right, well, I really belted it out in this song. Do I need a break? You know, there's so okay. I, I hear you on that, man. And um, it's also it's not only like playing to your, you, you know, the um, this again, the strengths of the group, but also in terms of appeasing your audience with us. Yeah. A lot of times we talk about in the group, uh, we're not necessarily a, a household name by any means. Like a lot of people, a lot, almost every audience we we perform in front of, we have to essentially win the audience over. Mm. They had never heard of us beforehand. So a lot of places go there and they end up like the audience, the curtain goes up and they're sitting there with their <laughs> arms folded and they're basically like, not a good like, look. Okay, show me, show me right. what you got. What do you got? What um, do you got? <laughs> but whereas somebody like, you know, uh, Bruno Mars or James Taylor, they're already in a sense married to their mm. audience. Like oh, yeah. people buy tickets and they know what to expect. So they right. can, you know, Bruno or James Taylor or Stevie Wonder, it doesn't matter who, they can go to their show and be like, you know what? I don't want to do this song tonight. I'm yeah. going to throw this song in there and the audience is going to love it no matter what. Right. But for us, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're not even, we're, we're on a first date with our audience, you know, like we're trying to impress them. We're Great trying to win to them over. It. So it's a game of psychology mm-hmm. and you're trying to uh, like, okay, well, what songs, what emotions do I want them to feel throughout the course of the performance? Where do I want them to feel this? And what songs will accomplish that? Will those songs in the original key work? Can we stray away from the original song far? Or should we keep it close to kind of give them peace of mind? Uh, uh, do, we, yeah. do we have anybody in the group that can sing this song? It's like so many people are like, oh, you should do Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> I want to slap you in the face because I can't sing. I can't yeah. sing. We want to do it too, but good luck. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. yeah, it's like it's when like, you hear from the audience, like, free bird, free, free bird, right? All right, yeah, sure. Dude, or you hear like Pearl Jam. Player. I'm like, dude, yeah. like, yeah, not everybody can sing Eddie Vedder, man. Like, oh, yeah, it, oh, yeah man. so there's so many mitigating factors to at, to to consider and it's such a trial and error and some shows like in the beginning like we were really trying to figure it out we didn't we had some very we had a, a bunch of shows where things didn't go as well or we didn't get the reaction that we wanted but now it's like it's become a science and we know what to expect from the audience like right after the first song and we know okay we've got them and we can we can go either here or there after that and it and it works so That's it's a great feeling yeah yeah well, uh, okay. So, and Steve, I don't know if you have any other set questions you want to throw out there. I got, but I have, I got I have, one. We don't have to do it right now, but you know it's up what? to you. Hit your question. Then I got right. one. I'm going to have him, have him stew on for a few minutes and then we can wrap things up here. But what do you got, Steve? Uh, so we didn't coordinate on that one. So I hope I'm not asking yours, but, yeah, uh, since okay. you're far smarter than me, I'm sure it's not the same. Thing. <laughs> um, so Chris, I know you named a lot of bands, but like, I'll give you some of mine and then like, who are your vocal inspirations? Like Mike, knows this like i am a sucker for vocal harmony Mm, and i say this on like almost every episode right but i it probably started for me with like oddly enough and i wasn't even a big grateful dead fan at the time but like Mm. now jerry was a mess and a lot of the band was a mess but when they were on they had amazing vocal harmony and he knew more about music than most people give him credit for right but sure yeah um but the eagles get so overlooked in how intricate the harmony is 
Yeah. Uh, for me, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yep. I heard Helplessly Hoping, the acoustic version, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> because Graham Nash can sing, you know, he's yep. in like the stratosphere, you know? Yeah. But for me, like, one of the most iconic albums of all time for vocal harmony has got to be Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, man. I mean, you hear that and you're like, somebody had this in their mind mm-hmm. yeah, and got it out in 84-part harmony on wax at the time, right? And no wonder Brian Wilson went a little crazy. God bless the man. Like, I don't know how he even ever conceived that. But like, those are, and even more so recently, I don't know if you're, if you've heard of the staves, like these three sisters who sing mm. vocal, they're amazing. If you, if you get a chance to check them out, but they're absolutely brilliant. They're called the staves. And they're, I just, I happen to love them because their voices are just so beautiful. But like, who are some of your influences, like historically, even, even now, like who, who Holy. would you say really did it for you? Holy hell, man. You, you literally just named a bunch of them. I I, oh, I have, <laughs> like, over the last few days, I was kind of, like, anticipating this, and I, I have a list of things, uh, <laughs> artists, literally, that I'm looking at right now. And the very first uh, list, uh, the very first artist at the top of my list is Beach Boys. Mm. Uh, that was, yeah. like, the first, the first group that I remember listening to uh, as a little kid, uh, just and just hearing it around the house because sure. of my parents. And just loving the vocal harmonies. Uh, I remember falling in love with um, uh, In My Room by the Beach Boys. I just thought it was a really pretty song. But then uh, as years went on, uh, you nailed it again. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, Helplessly Hoping, you're totally right. Like, Southern Cross is amazing. That too, yeah. And their vocal harmonies are just, like, unbelievable. The Eagles, you're totally right. I Mm -hmm. think they get... You know they're 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 a band, but their 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 vocals were just so beautiful, so and the good. blend the blend that they had yeah. was amazing. Um, some of the other ones uh, to to kind of parlay off of the 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 female group that you listen to. There's a group out today. Um, I think they're a Canadian uh, group. They're called the Whalen Jennies. They're kind of more folk. Huh. Um, they're really beautiful. That's great. Um, yeah, the Whalen. <laughs> great the, name. Yeah, right. The Whalen Jennies and some of their stuff. Uh, they are just. It's such easy listening, but their their tone is ungodly. It's like perfect to me. I love it so so much. Yeah. Um, but who else? I fell in love with uh, when I was uh, listening to Rockapella growing up, and even before I joined them. Um, one of the uh, the one of the owners of the group, uh, his name's Scott uh, Scott Leonard. He does all of their musical arranging and um, uh, original songwriting. And to me, he's he's brilliant. Uh, he really is so good with what he does. Um, he was a huge fan of this vocal group from the 30s and 40s called the Mills Brothers, and they are so good. I mean, these these guys they have these like satin smooth like velvet voices that just Oh, check them out. They, uh, the Mills Brothers, they do the song uh, Paper Doll. You yeah, always know it's man. Yeah, yeah the, you always hurt the one you love. Lazy River, Glowworm, like they're so good. Uh, but then, uh, then in my later years, I was looking for something with a little bit more like funk and soul. And that's when I fell in love with the Temptations. Oh. Yeah. Temptations, man, like <laughs> just so good. Um, oh. Uh, One mic. Always come back to the mic. I mean, isn't that a, you ever see you ever see the original Kings of Comedy when yep. Steve Harvey talks oh, yeah. about that? Not that oh, yeah. he's yeah, like yeah, they yeah, had one yeah. mic and they were like shoot up and they would walk for like ten <laughs> right. minutes, come back. He's like, now everybody has eighty four mics. Anyway, I don't mean to get too deep into that. No, no, it's, it's so like, true. Those guys cry and they were singing and dancing. I don't know how yeah. some of these people run across the stage, have the breath capacity to still sing, and maybe some true. of that is live to track. But true. anyway, sorry, it, man, go keep going. No, I mean, so then there was like Temptations, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Um, 
who else? But then in high school, we did uh, we did a lot of like vocal jazz arrangements and hard like vocal arrangements. My my teacher was really good at um, getting the best out of our group, and we did an arrangement of wow. I, that's what I fell in love with. Uh, Boys to Men. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boys yeah. to Men. They have like a lot of acapella covers. They did a beautiful cover of the Beatles um, yesterday, yep. uh, and it's so pretty. And then I fell in love with. Uh, uh, a vocal jazz group uh, that graduated from Ithaca called New York Voices um, that are just like the the harmonies are just so complex. But then, honestly, like I also and you know a little shameful here and there. But then I became big fans of uh, like the the boy bands back in the sure. day, like Backstreet yeah. Boys and Sync, because on a lot of their albums they would throw in like an acapella version of something, mm-hmm. and I just I fell in love with that sort of stuff. And I mean. I, I, so who else? Take Six is an amazing gospel acapella group. Like these guys, like it, one of the guys in Take Six is Brian McKnight's brother, Claude oh, McKnight. And this guy, I mean, Brian McKnight can sing any, he could sing the phone book and you'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll pay a hundred dollars <laughs> to go listen to this guy do this sure. right now. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, and one of the other new guys that he's won several Grammys, uh, his name is Jacob Collier. Uh, yeah, I know that name. Yeah, dude, check yeah, check yeah. him out. Like, you want to hear not just vocal harmonies, but complex music theory. Like at at work, there, he does this one song where he he modulates, and it's he just multitracks himself, but he modulates, it, and he modulates purposefully to the key in between G major and G sharp major. So he's literally singing in between yeah. those. Two He's on semitone. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Wow. And it's it's unreal. Like he's so he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Um, there are so many, so many. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, and I'll say this, and Mike, I won't jump on you. I mean, I, I when you said jazz, because we mm. we we call it the music and theory podcast, and we do talk about some theories. Sometimes we did talk about historical harmonic intervals um last week like thirds and sixths are typically what you'll hear off of a note right in a key historically especially classical music right but to hear jazz like those tensions and mike and i laugh because mike's like you got to teach me like so we played the other day we're playing together on skype because again we've got the distancing thing he was like well teach me something i'm like well i would do this and this is like a flat 13 and he was like dude stop right there like who like what are we like what are we talking about but if you're in a jazz, like that all makes sense if you use it in the right context like on its own you hear some of these chords and you're like what is that just sounds abysmal but in the right place in the right context you're like whoever knows how to do that and this is what we say mike jazz musicians don't get enough credit for how they can you know use and manipulate keys or tones and things like that country too yeah. yeah But that's great, man. And here's the funny thing about boy bands. I, and some do write their own music. What I would say, though, is underlying all that are really good songwriters sure. oh, who, yeah. have, who have provided the song, like Larger Than Life's in the key of C minor. No guitar player is writing a song without <laughs> aid of a capo in the key of C minor. Sure, yeah. But that's amazing. And they kill it and all these things. So they should get a lot more credit than uh than they get because that you know especially the people behind them are making these songs amazing right like the jonas brothers um like sucker i don't know who wrote that song but i know somebody that's a brilliantly written song and those guys made it come to life right so it's it's fantastic you know (laughs) it's funny though if you go back and you listen you look at um the the guy responsible or one of the 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 songwriters uh responsible for you you just mentioned like larger than life by backstreet boys uh one of the guys who wrote it was this guy max martin okay back back then this guy 
uh, he's still around today, and he also wrote, uh, co-wrote uh, Can't Stop the Feeling with Justin Timberlake for the uh, Trolls movie. Sure. This guy turns out hits left like yeah, he like is a, a hit, hit machine, machine. Yeah. he's a hit machine <laughs> and he just like he's got his craft down like he just knows what works um yeah it really they they, they get a they should they need a lot more credit too because to know what can work uh but you know like you said like no no guitar players writing a song and you know c c minor mm-hmm. or was it c sharp minor or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah either way yeah and it's like it's it's knowing your limits but also being able to like no 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 we're gonna like we're gonna push past this and here's how it's gonna be done like you got to push those boundaries you gotta you gotta be be able to to give it a go you know Uh, that's great man those are great bands too i'm definitely gonna check those out after this one so mike it's all yours man totally agree and yeah before before we wrap it up here uh chris i'm gonna throw a question your way take a minute to stew on it because i want to make sure you, you think of something good and while you do that, I'll give you guys a little plug for a few things. But uh, most interesting tour, venue, or story while you've been out there on the road. And don't don't worry, you know, like rated PG thirteen to R show, whichever you'd prefer. But we'd gotcha, love to hear gotcha. from what you got. And uh, while you're thinking that up, I do want to say, you know, some of my my first introductions to Revoiced. So I came across Mary, did you know? And uh, found the YouTube video associated with it. It blew me away blew me away and first of all who doesn't love christmas music and and secondly it is such a beautiful uh piece of art that your group has put together and essentially again revoiced that beautiful song in your own way and that's one where i found you to be front and center so that was pretty cool too so obviously that was like whoa i know this guy look at this kicking ass here. oh thanks thanks and then buddy the second <clears throat> the second one is is fantastic you know and you know again who doesn't love christmas music but your white christmas song dude the Home Alone sketch, you play Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's incredible. So if anybody's looking, listen, for we could all use a little lighter mood these days with everything going on. Go into YouTube, pull up the White Christmas Or anytime video, for that matter. Or yeah. anytime. Pull this thing up. It is fantastic. The song is beautiful. They do a whole Home Alone like uh, little sketch throughout the course of the, uh, the actual video itself. That's brilliant. Beautiful dude. stuff. Yeah. But back to the interesting stuff. Chris... Tell us a little bit about your most interesting tour, venue, or show. Sure, I mean it's it's tough because we have um, we honestly we do so much. Uh, I have I'll, I'll, I keep them, they're very like compartmentalized. But I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you I actually have like two or three, uh, and I'll keep them short. One uh, a few years ago we did a tour. Um, we did we auditioned for this uh, cultural exchange program through the U.S. State Department. Uh, called American Music Abroad, and we were selected among a few hundred American acts to uh, to go to travel the travel the world. And uh, the U.S. State Department sent us to Indonesia and Malaysia. Wow! And wow. Uh, we were there for like three weeks. So we went to uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. uh, Palembang, uh, Jakarta. We were everywhere in those in that region. It was so great, but it was it was a unique experience for us because I do a lot of talking during our show, but a lot of the kids that we were working with in audiences didn't speak English. Right. So we had to utilize the the work of a translator, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting, but it was crazy to see how far American music travels. Like it, it hits every corner of the world because yeah. we were doing, um, and so like these kids didn't know what we were saying at all, but then we busted out, uh, one of the first songs we did, we sang, uh, 
uh, Shut Up and Dance With Me by Walk the Moon. And these kids were screaming the the chorus back at us, even though they didn't know a lick of English. So we were like, that was, it was one of the most memorable things that we did. And that was, that was a few years ago. Wow. Uh, and so that was fun. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps, dude. That's amazing. <laughs> that that was cool. Uh, the other one of the other ones we did. Um, it was part of our music in school tour. Uh, we were we traveled to this little little town in in the middle of Iowa. It's called Milo, Iowa, and I think it was a town of maybe just a few hundred people. I mean, they're in the middle, of, like they're in the boonies, man. Like there's nobody out there. It's just, it's just open fields and, and cattle. And it was, it was crazy, but we did this show to raise money for the music education program. And we did it in like this weird, it's not weird. It was just an open, like kind of like garage or like airplane hangar. And the entire town came out because nobody like they're literally like hours away from any large city. So nobody ever comes to this town. Literally the whole town shut down for a revoiced show, which to me is just crazy. Wow. But it was it was such a an emotional show because they were so grateful to us and it was just like uh, people like they in the middle of the show they like got up on stage and they were just thanking us so much for taking the time to come to their little town and it just brought everybody and and the community together and everybody was crying we had like this chili cook off like potluck dinner it was it was the best Very it was cool. so much fun so that was the other one and then the last one Every once in a while, we do some work with a uh, a nonprofit organization called Best Buddies International. And what Best Buddies is, uh, it's a it's a nonprofit organization that was founded by uh, Anthony Kennedy Shriver of like the Kennedys and the the family. And it's a it's a organization that raises money to build and implement programs into school districts that allows and. it allows for the assimilation of individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So anybody that may have Down syndrome sure. or that operates on the the autism spectrum, uh, what this program does is uh, a lot of these poor individuals, like they get, you know, they get bullied, they get made fun of, but more than more than any of that, they just get secluded. Uh, and this program is meant to is meant for inclusion. And what the program does is it literally pairs off uh, somebody with some form of IDD, uh, intellectual developmental disabilities, uh, with um, they call it a buddy. Uh, so somebody like you or me. And, you know, they base it off of like, you know, the common interests and it creates one to one friendships and relationships with these kids so that they feel included and they don't feel like outcasts. And we've done we did uh, this this pro this show at Indiana University a few years ago it's this big best buddies like leadership conference and just the the love that that was being spread around and and hearing some of the stories that these poor kids go through man like it was it it's gut-wrenching and it's like these kids just dealt a, a not great hand and it's like they shouldn't be feeling anything like that and it's like hearing their stories just really touched us so uh any show that we do with best buddies it's just it's one to be remembered you have these kids just screaming and singing along with you and running up on stage and dancing with you and those are the best shows more than the shows that pay pay a lot of money i mean those like those are the ones those are the ones that stay with us so those are some three three good ones that are just like immediately come to mind so Good for you, man. That's great. That's a great story, man. Or great stories, plural, yeah. yeah. That's the type of stuff that we need to hear more bands doing and incredible, incredible work and the love that you have, 
you know, number of examples like that. I hope you have many, many more. Uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show today, yeah, Chris. Word. So again, we had Christopher Rossi today of the band Revoiced. Please get out there and check them out because yeah, if check you haven't them out, heard dude. of these guys, you are missing out in a big way. Um, but again, Chris, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks, man. Stay safe and healthy, and uh, we will definitely be talking soon. Cool. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Rock on, Rhythm Section. We'll talk to you all next next month. Until next time.